Welcome back to another episode of the Student Athlete Sessions. Today we are joined by Max Hisatake. Max is a former Division III basketball player. He went to Illinois Tech. Uh, Max now plays overseas as a pro in Japan. And uh, tonight should be a wide-ranging conversation. Uh, going, going through all things from his college career, first offer, how he got this pro career started overseas. And um, yeah, we will dig, dig into all of that with him. But first, a quick message from our sponsor, Play Overseas. Play Overseas is a free consulting service for for current student-athletes looking to continue both their academic and athletic career after graduation. There are no um, eligibility requirements for it. So even if you use your four years of NCAA eligibility, you are still uh, able to go and pursue these opportunities. So check them out. If you're not sure what you want to do and you're interested in continuing to play overseas, uh, they are great place to do that the link is in our bio if you want to learn more information and yeah give them a give them a shout so without further ado we're going to kick it to max here max welcome to the program what's going on my guy thank you for having me i'm looking forward to telling my story seeing if i can help anybody else out on their journey that's what it's all about that's what it's all about um i guess yeah started off with as we normally do here with uh, a short intro of yourself whatever you feel like is critical for the listeners here to get to know who Max is. Okay. For sure. Well, I, uh, my story starts in Hawaii. I was born in a Island on the big Island in a city in the big Island called Kona. Uh, like really soon after like two or three weeks, me and my mom, we moved to Los Angeles. So I was living in Long Beach with my family, uh, my Polynesian family, my Samoan family. We lived in Long Beach for about a year. And then my mom got sick of the traffic. She said, let's move. One of her cousins was like, let's go to Vegas. And this was in 1998. This is when Vegas wasn't anything, man. It was tiny. So we, we, me and my mom, we moved to Vegas and we started our life there when I was one. And um, I, uh, I was raised in a private school. I was like in public school, but then I went to private school in fifth grade. So I was kind of in a bubble. I didn't really like get to experience the whole world and, you know what that hooping culture was really like, but I, you know, I was stuck to the books. Like my mom wanted me to get a great education. She wanted me to succeed, and I always loved sports. It's in our DNA. As it probably, it's either the league or, or you do something, you know, with your life. And so I was always trying to make it to the NFL. Like I just love football. My uncle is Junior Seau, and I was always like inspired by him. So I just wanted to like, you know make the most of my athletic ability. I was talented, bro. And then he committed suicide in 2016, um, actually 2015. And me and my mom, we we just decided, like, this is a dangerous sport and I'd be better off playing basketball. So I started focusing more on basketball. I dropped a lot of weight, started, like, jumping out the gym. And my senior year in high school, I won the state championship with my team. And I got uh, player of the year for our division. And so coming off of that, I was like, yo, I should definitely have some D1 offers, you know. But I was too late, man. Like, this was already senior year. Most of these players usually get their offers like sophomore or junior year. So I was like kind of late to the party. Um, So I started emailing a bunch of coaches, like trying to see, you know, who could take me. I reached out to NYU, reached out to Cal Poly reached out to Illinois Tech, reached out to Fordham. Uh, The NYU coach came back and he said he really wanted me, but they didn't have enough money to offer me and I couldn't do $70,000 a year. So um, I ended up, I I, so basically it's funny because I had the academics to get into all these schools. I got accepted to Cal Poly. I got accepted to Fordham. I got accepted to uh, Rochester Polytechnic in Pittsburgh. I got accepted to USD in San Diego. I had a lot of good schools that I could have gone to. Um, I had offers in football from Hawaii, from Utah State, from Reno, and USD as well. But, you know, I wanted to be an architect, so I chose to go to Illinois Tech and play D3. They also offered me, like, 50K a year in scholarships. So that's how I ended up at a D3. You know, I took the route. You know, I took the route, this not the safer route, but I took the route that was going to allow me to 
keep playing basketball and also get my degree in architecture, which was another passion of mine. Um, now, fast forward to my junior year in college. Wait, hold on. I want to stop you there. Before, before we get into the good stuff about your college career, I, I got two, two follow-ups. First of all, it sounds like you took, like you're saying, you took the, the whole picture into view. You, you thought about the academics. Your mom was on you early to get good grades, and that paid off clearly uh, both in the financial aid packages and the, you know, and the acceptances you got. But I, I want to go all the way back to the start of your basketball career. So to, just for everyone listening, we're talking to a current pro basketball player on his third contract overseas, and you're saying you didn't touch a basketball until you were win? No, no, no. I touched a basketball. I was, I was, I was a basketball player, but I was really a football player. Like at my school, a lot of the players would play like every sport because it wasn't like it wasn't like you know Bishop Gorman. I don't. Okay, Bishop Gorman is a huge uh, football school in the United States. It's in Vegas. It's a private Catholic school. Bishop Gorman, like. If you go to Bishop Gorman, you're only playing one sport there. It's like college. It's like you put all your eggs in one basket. You focus on being the best sport player you can be. At my school, everybody would play every sport. Like we would all play basketball, football, track. Like you just do it every season, you know? You play the fall sport, you play the winter sport, you play the spring sport. So I played basketball, played football, I did track. And basketball, see, the thing about that is like I didn't even make the team my freshman year. I made JV. Coach didn't – he didn't think I was good enough for varsity. That pissed me off. And my best friend made it, and we were both freshmen. I was like, yo, I'm be- I feel like I'm better than him. And so I started working really hard. Like, I started just, like, every day just getting up, just doing as many wiking drills as you can think of, bro. Like, I do all post work, shoot free throws. And I was still uncoordinated, but he got – he let me play varsity my sophomore year. So I got on the varsity sophomore year. For the listeners, still, real quick, the the Mike and drill. Some people familiar with basketball will, will know what that is, but explain to, to maybe some non-basketball listeners what, what that means, how, how simple of a drill that is. Uh, the, the drill is probably the most simplest drill you've ever done. It's just a layup on the left, layup on the right, and you do 10 or 20 consecutive in a row. And it's a famous drill since the 50s or 60s by an NBA player with the last name Mike and, and Basically, it's just like the, one of the most foundational drills you can do to, to get better at layups, you know. So I just did that every day, you know, just got better at layups because if you can make your layups, you're going to get playing time. You know, if you make that's the easiest shot in the game, highest percentage. So the coach is going to put you in the game. So I just got better at layups, started there, built a good foundation. But I was still like awkward. I used to run awkward and like I, I just didn't really move like a like a real basketball player. But I had, like, raw ability, which is awkward, you know? You know those awkward players you see, you're like, oh, he has potential, but he just – he hasn't really, like, grew into his frame yet. That was me. Well, it's the classic – it's a classic football player trying to come play basketball yes, crossover. Exactly. It happens all the time. I could, I, could, I could hit anybody. I was the hardest hitter, but I was just awkward still. And so, sophomore year, I made varsity, but I didn't play very much. We made it to the semifinals for state. I didn't really touch the court. That season, a little bit here and there, and then junior year, all the seniors graduated, and I started to have a better season. But I was averaging like maybe 10, 10 and 10, but I was still like kind of overweight. So that's when that whole situation, my uncle Junior Seau happened. He had committed suicide. He shot himself in the head. They discovered that it was CTE, a uh, brain uh, disease that is developed from heavy hitting on the head, and you know high impact sports like football. So me and my mom, we sat down. I had offers from Hawaii, I had offers from UNR, from Utah State, uh, just being a Samoan, you know, we have a lot of connections in the football world and they they saw the talent, they saw the potential. We but we, we sat down and we were like, yo, like, do we want to put ourselves at this risk? You know, like I could develop this in 10, 10 years and you know my my brain will be fried. And be, I'll be 30 years old with the fried brain. I don't want that. So yeah, what did that conversation yeah. look like with coaches? Did you, I mean, were you having that internally as a family or? or were, yeah, you, so you know? it started as, it started as a family. And then once it got to senior year and I started devoting myself to, to basketball more, the coaches, they just, you know, asking how I was doing. And we were just telling them that I'm focusing on architecture and basketball. 
And, you know, they respected it and they just wished us their best. But it's really out of their hands at that point because, you know, me and my mom have already had already committed to, to a safer future, you know? Yeah. And, and then how about the, the architecture major? You mentioned that. Was that something, it, it feels like it was a concrete part of the, the process and you kind of knew this was, a, was an interest going in. Where did, where did that come from? Dude, it's crazy. So my auntie, the, so the auntie that I, my mom moved to Las Vegas with in 1998, she was actually an architecture major. But I didn't even know that until I grew up and found out after I was already loving architecture, which is funny. My other auntie who lives in Hawaii was also an architecture major. So like all these puzzle pieces were like starting to get unlocked as I grew up. But I'll never forget this, bro. I was in sixth grade and I had just moved to the private school in Meadows. And I joined, I always loved art, but I wasn't, I didn't really know about buildings. I joined art class and one of my teachers, Mrs. Perkins, I still remember her name. Our first project was to do a sculpture. And this was in 2009 when the, the Burj, all, the Burj Khalifa was built in Dubai. And I remember like obsessing over that building and I made a, a model of it, like a 3D uh, sculpture out of metal. And it was, that was like the day that I knew I wanted to build skyscrapers, bro. I was like, I was so fascinated with this building that was so tall in the air. I'm like, how did they make that? And I just knew, I was like, yo, I want to learn how to make that one day. And then carried on from there. Man, I was like, I was like, I'll do that over working a nine to five any day. I'd rather build skyscrapers than, than sit in an office chair and freaking do accounting or sales or answer phone calls. I'll never do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, okay. And so then that led you to, along with maybe, you know, a pretty generous financial aid package. Uh, was there anything that you feel like you did strategies? We're always, we're always trying to look to crowdsource information, especially around financial aid. Were there any strategies you feel like you used to, to get a bigger package? hundred percent, hundred percent. You've got to fight for yourself. You got it. Like this is, this is, this is important because the school I went to was heavy on academics. Washington Post rated my school number five school in the nation. And the reason is, is because they were so heavy on academics. So my GPA was a 4.1 weighted, 3.3 unweighted. So basically A minus unweighted. And when we went to financial aid, you know, D3s don't offer any scholarships, um, academic athletic scholarships, but they offer academic scholarships. And like some people don't know about that. The better grades you have, the more money you can get from STEM and, you know, person like uh, grants. So what we did is the coach, uh, Todd Kelly at Illinois Tech, he really wanted me. And I didn't really want to go to Illinois Tech. And so the only way that I was willing to go is if we got a fat financial aid package. So we just leveraged our power, you know, we leveraged our, uh, our influence and the hard work that I had put in. And we basically told them, like, yo, we can't come to this school unless we get 90% of this tuition paid for. And, like, when we – so I remember, like, when we first got there, I, they were only offering me, like, 35000 per year. And the tuition was sixty. By the time we signed the papers, they were offering us, like, 52000 in scholarships. So I, I had fought for, like, tw- almost, like, $17,000 in extra financial aid just because I was, I was relentless. Like, I just, say, I just kept saying, like, that's not enough. So the coach would go in and he'd go to the financial aid office. He'd tell him um, now that he needs more money. So they would put in a petition and ask the donors for more money for this student. The donors would give me 2,500 more. And I'd tell the coach, no, that's not enough, coach. Like, we really can't do this. My mom's struggling. And he like, okay, goes back in. They find another loophole and they end up getting a grant from like, uh, maybe like, um, a, what's it called? Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the word, but... Uh, some kind of merit aid or yeah like um what's the word oh man i'm forgetting the word bear with me like uh, right. mm, minority like a minority aid like uh because oh, i'm yeah. samoan i'm samoan black spanish and so having that minority in me it makes me eligible for more financial aid packages so grants exactly yeah, no, and I think that's that's good insight. You know, every school is going to be different, and I'm sure, you know, from the coaches we've we've spoken with, 
there are there are a lot of conversations that you know as you as you alluded to happen between the coaches and the admissions department and there's no there's no perfect science again these rules don't always apply at every school but i think the principle max that you highlight is fight for yourself and use use your position as a recruited athlete as leverage to if your family truly cannot afford it or you know you're looking for a little more money uh, to have less debt leaving school continue to push that and and be clear in your messaging to coaches and it sounds like it worked out for you and look at it this way yeah look at it this way even if your family can't afford it we're talking about billionaires and millionaires that are donors to this school like you got to fight for yourself because you need all the money you can get even if your mom and dad have money you never know what type of financial situation the world is going to be in so you want to get all the free money you can because if something happens, there's a recession, there's a depression, and your parents lose their job, all that money that you could have got could really put take a lot of pressure off your family. So like, mm-hmm. it's not even it's not even about how much money you have. It's about leveraging yourself and leveraging all the hard work that you put in to get as much finances from the elites, from these these very wealthy people that are funding the school. Five extra thousand of them is nothing. I promise, it's nothing. These people have have generational wealth that they don't even like think twice about you just have to be willing to put the work in and show them like you want to come to this school the more commitment you show to them the more of a smart investment it makes for them to put money more more money into you yep yep yeah all right let's change gears here uh you you briefly mentioned you know your junior year at illinois tech i think uh, i want to talk about your basketball career you know now the audience has the context that you know you started a little later we're we're primarily thinking about football, things change. You, you come into Illinois Tech and it seems like it took you, took you a minute to get, your, to get your bearings on the court and then your performance really skyrocketed towards the end of your career. Yeah. How, how would you put, put your own career in your own words? It's a, it's a beautiful crescendo. It was a beautiful crescendo. It started, uh, my, it started, it started modest. I was still a beast, but I was I was a modest beast. I didn't really know what my potential was. I, I didn't I didn't really know how good I could be. I didn't know my ceiling at all. And as I started to take it more serious and fall in love with the game and fall in love with the process and take the grind serious, I started to see like, oh, I could be really good at this game, you know. And I started to get addicted to to killing fools bro like just to be completely honest like i started to love to dominate it's fun when you're dominating a game like you can't tell me no one watching this can tell me anything different that it's not fun to win everybody wants to dominate everybody wants to win because you get bragging rights you you feel like the man you feel that power and it feels good to work hard and to feel the results and the respect from your peers when you succeed and get those results that you've been working so hard for and so you know that process, that four-year journey, it actually, it turned out better than I had thought I could make it happen. And that's what feels so gratifying is knowing I put in a shit ton of work and it worked out even better than I thought it could have, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you end your career, as you mentioned with the crescendo, you are named the NACC Defensive Player of the Year. You know, you're you're averaging. You have, you have multiple double doubles as a senior, and it, and it seems like you know you're an all-region selection. You you have definitely, you know, like you said, dominate. Come to come to dominate the conference in a way that maybe you didn't expect early on. At, at what point during that journey, that pr- progression, did you realize, or maybe a coach started talking to you about, you know, Max, what about going pro? This happened my sophomore year. I started, I was my sophomore year in D3. I started getting hit up by agents. I started talking to like my, my head coach about potentially playing, but I didn't really believe in myself yet. Like he told me that I could play pro, but I didn't see it yet. I still felt like I was like robbed far away from it. And, but there was still like people talking about it. Like when I would play at the pro-ams with pros, they'd be like, you a pro. And like, you just don't see it yet. Like, they used to always say that, bro. They say, you a pro, but you just don't see it yet. And I remember that used to be like, it used to like kind of trigger me. I'm like, 
why don't I see it yet? Like, why don't I see my greatness? Like, I would look in the mirror. I'd be like, I just don't, I don't stack up to these guys. And then. When was that? That was like the summer during, like after sophomore or junior year when you're back home? That was, that was, no, I stayed in Chicago in the summers. I played in the pro-am when I trained like with, um, man, I, I used to train with a bunch of pros. I used to train with Javar Parker. I used to train with Talonhorn and Tucker. I used to train with. Uh, a lot of Chicago legends, bro, because we used to play in the pro runs. Mm. How are you getting into those runs? Like, I, I guess a D3, a D3 player doesn't normally just stroll into a gym and, and start hooping with Jabari Parker. So, like, wh- wh- yeah, where did that come from? So, my brother, like, really, not blood brother, but damn near blood brother. His name's Kyle Parker. He's from Chicago. He went to U-High in Chicago. And we always used to be real tight. And I remember one day he invited me to this run at DePaul, and this was like the summer of 2018, 2018 or 2019. And I remember I was like, yo, this is gonna be a dope run, I can already tell. And I got there, Ty Odiasi, uh, Walter Pitchford from Indiana, and like a bunch of other pros were there. And I remember I just showed out, I was just cooking, I was just hooping my ass off because I was so focused. I'm like, these don't, this doesn't come around very often, I'm gonna show these dudes what's up. And I remember after that run, I earned my respect. Like the dudes putting it together, uh, Tim Brennan and another dude, they run this CBC, uh, Chicago Basketball Club. They started inviting me to all the runs. That's when I started running with Talon. That's when I started running with Jabari. And from there, like they just kept inviting me because they're like, yo, they see me that I could hoop and they respected my hustle. They respected my grind, my, my game. And it's like, I showed them, I proved myself, you know? I proved myself. And once I proved myself, I just kept, I just kept being the opportunities followed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to open the door. You just got to you got to seize the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and and yeah, did, did when you started getting those, you know, those run invites, did you get then a couple more agent messages? I know you said a few were reaching out. Where, where yeah. did where did you find your first look? Like this, this is a common question we get from current student athletes who are like, I'd like to play pro, but I don't know where to start. Like, where where did you find that you found trustworthy agents or someone who you could get a pro opportunity from? Yeah, well, it's funny. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. <laughs> this is off the books. I remember I was it was my senior year, and I got hit up. It was the beginning of my senior year. And someone texted me. His name his name is Rob Falk. He's like, I'm with uh, uh, First Law Sports, and that was the first time I had talked to an agent. And I remember I was just like, kind of like excited. I was like, yo, like he was telling me about like deals that he could get me in France, Lithuania, and maybe Japan. Talking about 50, 60, 40, like all these numbers. And he told me like, if I grow, I could get triple that the next year. All I got to do is average eight and eight in like a second league in Europe. And I was like, wow, like, I, this is like the first time I started to like really talk to someone in the business that can make me make these dreams come true. I do. I used to sit on the phone with him like an hour a week. He would call me all the time, bro. And like he would watch all my games. After the game, he would text me, nice double-double, nice game. I see you putting on monster numbers. We started to build a relationship. And I started to trust this guy. Um, and I remember like I took notes every time, bro. I would write down in my notepad, in my phone, all the questions I asked him, all the answers he had, whether it was who's his agency, uh, how much a player is making, what's like, what's the contract details, like all that stuff. And, um, yeah, that was, that was the first time I really had a relationship with the agent. And then, and then how did your first pro deal come about? I mean, I, I feel like I remember when, when you and I first started talking, D3 Direct started in like April of 2020. I feel like we got linked up maybe in May of 2020, if I'm not mistaken, that summer. And you were waiting on news from, from Japan. I think there was some, yeah, some, exactly. some rumors out and it was unclear. And then you end up signing with a team. So how, how did that all come about? Telling you, I have the craziest story in the country, though. Like, no joke, my shit is wild, okay? So the guy that I was telling you about, Rob Folk, he 
we ended up not signing together. I was, I literally, so I, it was May 15th of 2020, the pandemic, it was just like starting to settle a little bit. It was like two months after the pandemic, I was in Vegas and I talked to my mom and I was like, I want to sign with Ron Falk, okay? He was going to put me in Europe or, or Japan, but most likely Europe. I was going to go to like Germany or, or Italy or France. I wanted to play in those countries or Spain. So I, talk, I call him and I'm like, yo, I, I want to sign with you. He's like, oh, that's great to know. Uh, so I gave him a verbal commit. He's like, I'm going to write up the contract. I'll email it to you. I get the contract and there, it says two-year um, deal, like a two-year signing with his agency. And I talked to like my close friends that played overseas and they're like, nah, bro, like you don't want to sign a two-year deal with your first year as an agent. Like what if something goes bad? This is a grimy business. Like you don't know how he's going to operate. You want to, you, if you, your first year, you want to sign a one-year deal. So, you know, like, okay, if this guy does his job the first year, I can trust him. I can re-sign with him. But if it's two-year deal after the first year, what if it goes bad? You still locked in with another year with a dude that you don't want to do business with, you know? So I was like stressing because I was telling him like, I'm not signing this deal unless you take out the two-year clause. I'm only going to sign with you for one year. And he's like, I'm not taking, he's like, I'm not taking out that two-year clause. That's how we operate with all of our clients. And that was the only, and that was the only agent I was talking with, bro. The whole year I was just talking to him. So I was like, what do I do, bro? I shit you not. The next day I got a call from an NBA agent, bro. Out of nowhere, I got a call from an NBA agent. And I was like, where did you come from, God? Like, God literally just, like, answered my prayers. He just, you, think it was, you think it was from the Chicago run or was it? Was it no, no, know, no. Some... So, no. So this is how it happened. My mom was friends. So I'm from the Polynesian culture. I'm Samoan. And we're really tight-knit. Like, all of our, everybody who's Samoan pretty much knows everybody who's Samoan. Like, it's a very, very, very tight-knit community. And so my mom, she has a friend, and she works in L.A. at the Sony the Sony office in Thousand Oaks. Well, her office neighbor is the owner of Dynasty Sports. Have you heard of Dan Fagan? Yeah. Okay, so the agent that called me was Dan Fagan's business partner before he passed away. So a very connected person in the world of, yeah. of agents and... Uh, Yes. So the guy had signed over $500 million worth of deals, probably more. And so he was, he's Polynesian. The agent that called me was Polynesian. And what happened was he had seen my highlight tape. I put up from my senior season with 20 double doubles, averaging 16 points, 14 rebounds. And he saw that I was Samoan and he heard from the, the lady at his office, the office neighbor Tracy that, you know, this kid was trying to, you know, get an agent. He called me and he literally said, I want to sign you. I didn't even have to do anything. He literally said, I want to sign you. So to a one-year deal or did you, was it still a two? It wasn't even a one-year deal. It was a standard MVPA contract, which means you can terminate at any time. It's not, you're not, you can fire the agent whenever you want. Okay, so give, help us out on timeline. When, when does this happen, roughly? So this, so, so I, I was dealing with the other agent and like the two-year clause around May 15th. Okay. This, we didn't find an agreement. Like I was, I was working with him and like trying to figure something out up until like May 29th. Jaren, the agent, called me on June 1st, bro. And I signed with him literally the next day. Wow. And this, and the, and so this is an MBPA contract, but you end up in Japan. So, so where, so, so let me tell you about that. So yeah, I yeah. signed an MBPA, I signed an MBPA contract and I put my name in the draft. So 2020, I entered the draft. So my agent, he put me at impact Academy. So I went to impact and I was training with a bunch of NBA players, bro. I was playing, I was training with Malachi Flynn, Devin Dawson, um, Tyler Bay. Um, man, I'm not even trying to name drop, but like, I, all these guys. Uh, the dude plays with Zeke Naji, uh, Amir Johnson, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. I'm talking like I was in NBA pre-draft with 
Xavier Simpson from Michigan played for the Thunder. I was in the pre-draft process, so I was there every day, bro. We was grinding from 10 a.m. to to 2 or 3 p.m. just working on our craft. And I, that's when I really started to got I got really good, bro. I started getting really just sound. And the draft that year had been pushed back from July to November. That's when COVID hit. And so all of us that were there from the pre-draft, we were there from June to November just at impact, which is really uncommon. Most guys go to impact for two months. They go from June to July, and then they leave when they get drafted. Now, 30 of us had to sit there for four or five months waiting to the draft. So the draft happened. The draft happened in, like, November 29th, I think, and I went undrafted. So I ended up, you know, like, just, you know, not to, like, discredit myself, but I – I, I knew that for me to get drafted, like, it'd be the craziest shit in the history of the NBA. Like, it'd be like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah, not, not many D3 guys have, have ever been drafted, so it would have been you – know saying It definitely would have yeah. been notable. I, uh, I didn't count myself out. I'm like, anything's possible, of course, but I was preparing for, you know, other plays in Japan or Europe. So my agent, we had a conversation. We were like, okay, if you don't get drafted – you know, let's try to get a training camp deal. Let's try to make summer league happen. Summer league ended up not, not happening that summer. And so we ended up like, you know, trying to get some training camp workouts. Well, my agent didn't get any of those. So we started talking about like, okay, what should we do? You know, Japan or Europe? I was like, well, I'm trying to make it to the league. So Japan, Japan got bread, but they're not the best way to make it to the league. So we sat down and we came up with a plan. If I was going to go to Japan, I was going to try to get my passport so that I could, you know, play for the Japanese national team and work my way up to make it back to America. So mm-hmm. I and and I how eligibility through through your mom's your dad's side? What what how, or how does Japanese passport eligibility work? Well, that's a whole other story. That that takes time. I don't have my okay. passport yet. I don't have my passport uh, yet. I got you. So, I got you. So but working on it. Yeah, so he ended up, you know, talking to his Japanese contacts. He had, a, at the time, he had a player over in Japan named Ryan Rossiter who was making a bag over seven figures out there. And so played at Siena, like, oh, right? Oh, uh, yeah, played at Siena. was a monster, yeah. crazy motor. And so I was just like, you know, the money was like, the money just looked, it looked like in terms of across the globe, Japan was one of the highest earning markets. And so I was thinking to myself, how do I set myself up for financial freedom and chase this childhood dream of mine? And given my situation, Japan was the smartest move. So he started marketing myself and I ended up getting a workout in uh, at Mamba Academy in Thousand Oaks uh, with this team called the Hitachi Sunrockers. So I was with, I don't know if you know David Nurse, Nick Nurse's cousin. I, I don't. I don't know David. I know Nick. Okay, so David Nick Nurse has a cousin. His name's David Nurse, and he's like a, he used to be an NBA coach. Now he's a motivational speaker. He just trains with a lot of NBA guys. He works as like a recruiter for Itachi Sunwalkers, and so he worked me out. And the Itachi Sunwalkers were watching, but I killed this workout. When I tell you, I've never had a better pre-draft or just any type of workout in front of a coach in my entire life I wasn't missing like I was so locked in I had got up a thousand makes a day that whole week prior to that workout because I literally knew like this is the one shot I got I've been working all summer for this I need a deal and like if I don't get a good deal now like that could really fuck up my career it can make it way harder to make where I need to go so like I put all my focus on this workout bro like I literally I literally made 5,000 shots that week. And I remember counting it because that was the only way I was going to feel like extremely overprepared. And I got to that workout with just unbreakable confidence because I knew how much work I put in, bro. Like to put in 5,000 shots in five days is fucking ridiculous. I was literally- 5,000 5, makes. 5,000 makes, not just shots, bro. Like, yeah, I'm that's talking that's like, a big, big difference. Bro, I'm talking like anything- threes, mid-range, free throws, everything, bro. And I remember I got to the workout. He put me through like an hour, 20 workout. 
my agents were there. They were watching, and I killed it, bro. And after the workout, David Nurse looked at me. He's like, bro, they're going to sign you. He literally just said that. He told me, he's like, they're going to sign you. He just knew. And I was like, I know, bro. And I left that workout, and I called my mom, and I, like, almost started crying. I was like, mom, like, I did it. Like, I just know. I'm so confident that they're going to want me. Like, they can't deny this. This was one of the best workouts I've ever had. And she just told me, like, she's like, I am so proud of you. Like, I know how hard you've been working for this, and you deserve this so much. And it's just, like, it's crazy feeling, bro. And then That's a beautiful, like, couple, beautiful moment. Bro, it was, I'll never forget that moment. It was one of the best of my life. And a couple of days later, my agent called me, and he said they offered me, and they started writing up the contract. And so, like, for the next, like, month, we had to – we went back with negotiations for – um, how much they were going to pay me and then you know the we got the, the deal signed and I remember signing that deal and I was like I saw the numbers at the bottom and I was like yo like I did it I literally did it and I just made this shit come true and when mm-hmm. I signed that shit I, when I signed that shit bro, I literally told myself I'm a pro now like no one can take that from me I literally just signed my first professional contract for six figures and no one can take that from me and yeah shit, man that's an accomplishment. And, and when you, yeah, you sign that deal and you join, you join a, a, a crew of American pros. It's pretty impressive. You know, James, James, Michael McAdoo, Ryan Kelly, Josh Harrelson, you know, from, from Carolina Duke and Kentucky respectively, it's not a, not a shabby roster of, of, uh, of American imports. Here's a question for you though. How, how you said you were applying for your Japanese passport. So did you count as an import on the team? When you yeah, got signed, in Japan. okay, you're an import in Japan. So then, yeah. is there is there a point then that you maybe if you're already attractive as a, as a signee for a team that if you get a passport you become even more attractive because you don't count on the uh, against their like count of imports or is that probably not going to happen? No. I think in your career, no, no, that's exactly right. Once I get my passport. And I don't count as an import, but I'm still just as good and better than the imports. So now the mm-hmm. team has an advantage. Now the team has an advantage because they have an American that counts as a Japanese. So they can hire another American while the other teams only have three. We have four now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on paper, we have three, but really we have four. Sure. Sure. And that's, that's how, yeah, that's for anyone listening that does want to go play pro that, that same type of citizenship loophole uh, applies across Europe and you know in other countries if you're fa- if you have any kind of connection or you can work with an agent to look into citizenship rules and get a local passport if, if you're not counting as an import on a roster huge advantage if you're trying to find a pro opportunity so another another thing to learn from from max story from max's story here um yeah i i i'm curious now about life in japan you know you've been there for for a little while now you played your you just signed with your third team. Congrats on that. Thank you. Is it, how do you pronounce the name? Is it Amori Watts or? Amori. Amori Watts. All right. And uh, yeah, you, you, for anyone who doesn't follow Max on Instagram, he's a great follow. Uh, always posting cooking videos, doing, doing <laughs> some work, doing some work in the kitchen, chefing it up. What, what has been, um, what has been, you know, one of the biggest adjustments to life in Japan or, or have you just flowed in naturally? Take the listeners through no, that. It was not a flow in naturally, bro. It was tough, bro. <laughs> it is not. Anybody watching, bro, anybody who wants to come to Japan, you better prepare yourself, bro. You got to get your book, start to learn in Japanese. And when I'm telling you this, man, do not expect a, a smooth transition that, that's the most, that's the best advice I could give. Like, don't be scared, but just prepare yourself for, for coming out here because it's a culture shock, bro. It is so different than anywhere else in the world. And that's what people don't understand. It's like Japan is not highly publicized in the media. Not, not a lot of people know what it's like out here. And you can't really explain it. You got to, you don't really know what it's like until you get out here. And like, once you, once you experience it, that's when you fully understand what i'm talking about um in terms of like assimilating into the culture and becoming like one with the culture i don't know if that's fully possible just because it takes so many years to be a part of 
traditions that are unlike your own, you know, like mm. cultural tradition. Cultural traditions are translated over generations. It's hard to do that in a, a career of 10 years, you know, where you, you know, you're just playing basketball. It's not like we're at, you know, the the family's house every night. You know, you got your own apartment and stuff. So that mm. that quote that cultural whatever. I was just gonna say, has uh has trying to learn how to speak Japanese, or maybe you came in with some Japanese already, has that helped to ease the cultural transition? Or at least, you know, from what I've heard from other players, it's oftentimes if, if someone is taking that first step and making the effort, people are a lot more willing to accept them or, or to give them a chance. Is that, have you found that to be true? Mm, to an extent, like I'll tell you this, I can speak a little bit of Japanese. Uh, for example, if I want to say my name is Max, you say, Watashi wa Max Hisatake this. If I want to say I was born in Vegas, Las Vegas, Shishin des. Um, if you want to say thank you very much, Arigato gozaimashita, like that stuff is simple and that stuff goes a long way. I know a lot more terms and like I, I chop it up with my Japanese teammates. Like uh, I'll say terms like chikai, um, which means close, or kiodai, which is brother. Like, you know, small terms like build camaraderie, but in terms of like speaking fluently full sentences, like I don't know, it's, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm not fully comfortable with just speaking full on Japanese. Like it, it's out of my comfort zone to just go full blown Japanese. I'll, I'll speak English and use a translator before I go full Japanese. It's just, and maybe that's just me, but I feel like I feel like definitely they respect and appreciate learning their language and like getting to know how to speak their language because it shows that you're putting in effort and that's a form of love. But mm. I don't know. I don't know if you'll if we'll ever be, you know, one in one. Like there, there's always going to be a, a just a little bit of a difference. And I think the I think the best way to to break down that barrier is just time. You know, you just got to spend time with people. Like, it doesn't matter if they're Japanese, doesn't matter what race you are. The more time you spend with someone, the more you get to know them and the more that bond and that trust and that relationship grows. And then you become mm -hmm. one. There's, there's really no race once you start to, to really get to know who somebody is, not just what they look like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Takes takes time to learn a new culture. And, and I think coming in with an attitude of humility, like you're kind of talking about and you know, understanding that it's going to going to uh, take some study and take some observance to to really understand traditions and 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 what they bring to the table. So I think it's a great perspective. Something something everyone can learn from. Anyone who's going abroad. Uh, it looks like you when are. I, close when I say to time, when I say time, I mean like it takes not a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Like it takes years, bro. And like not just Japan, but it takes years to understand a culture. Do you know how many facets a culture has? A culture has government, music, law, religion, mm. uh, language. Like, that has been built up for thousands of years. You know, for someone to think that they can go into a new culture and immerse and adopt it within months, like, it's just, that's just not realistic. You know, you got you to gotta spend years in a culture to really understand it. And then you still don't even get the full grasp, you know? Yeah. No, it's true. It's very true. No, I got time though. We can keep talking. I got time. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Yeah. Just wanted to double check, make sure we're uh, we're we, we got a moment. Um, I wanna I wanna ask about you know uh, switching from from these different teams. Like, you know, have you seen have you seen a continued kind of growth in your game? It, it seems like you were coming off the bench for Shibuya and and kind of developed a role towards the end of the season and then did you get signed to neo phoenix mid-season or was that was that uh yeah. that was the following what what happened there yeah so i was at Atachi and i was more of like a role player i was still a, you know i was a rookie in coach's eyes so he wasn't giving me a lot of responsibility um i was still hooping bro i was i was killing in practice and when i was playing games i scored like 10 points or five points in 10 minutes pull down like six rebounds i was putting yeah. it work. the highlights um, were great man the highlights were there in the b league the league that max plays in guys the the b league is the top league in japan and they 
they love featuring his stuff on uh, social. So definitely, definitely check that out because you'll see plenty of Max highlights. But anyways, continue. Dude, yeah. Hey, they should they be showing love, bro. They be posting my my stuff so much. I'm so appreciative of it. Oh uh, yeah, so uh, I had like a real serious conversation with my agent at the time, and he was telling me like I gotta play, and I was agreeing like I gotta play too, um, and so. We just, you know, we talked to Hitachi and we just, uh, you know, tried to come to an agreement where I could go play for a team where they're going to let me get minutes, you know. And so I uh, I was able to come to an agreement with Cyan and they signed me middle of the season. And when I got there, man, the coach, he let me rock out. He let me show I could shoot threes, let me show that I could put the ball on the ground, push in transition, pass the ball, get my teammates the ball, just be not just a five, but be uh, a three, be a four, you know, be versatile, you know? 100%. I mean, that that's the type of opportunity that, that allows a young player to really show what they have. And and it seems like you've, you've taken that and run with it because you now have moved on, as we mentioned earlier, to, to your third, third team and still in the B League. So w- what do you feel like the season's just getting started? What do you feel like is – are your some of your goals for this year? I got big goals, bro. Uh, my number one goal is to be. I mean, I don't know if this is number one or number two. It's kind of they kind of tied for both because I don't want to be selfish. But my top two goals is to be B two champions and be B two player of the year. So I'm gonna make it happen. God willing. Yeah, it's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. How about we, uh, we, we close this thing out. We typically ask any, any former D3 athlete to, to think about talking to their past self, like a 17, 18 year old version of, of Max. You have a chance to go back and sit in a room with him. What type of advice are you going to give to him about, about college or about life? Um, you know, let, let, let him know what, what have you learned that now you want to look back and share? That's a great question, bro. I'll tell you, I was looking back. I was sitting down in a room, my past self, and he's seeing where I'm sitting today, what I've accomplished, and how I got here. I tell him, I tell him, man, I say, don't worry about what people think of you. Don't worry about the fame. Don't worry about the popularity. Don't worry about the influence. Just focus on being the best player and the best version of yourself you can be and commit to your craft and watch how all the other stuff that you want comes into your life effortlessly. And I tell him to never lose that confidence because that confidence, that swagger that you carry within yourself, that within your heart, that makes everything else flourish because the minute you start caring about the hate and what people are saying about you and the disrespect, that's when you start to lose that that swagger, that confidence that makes you so great because the confidence and the swag is what makes you great. That's what allows you to go out there and put up numbers and do things mm-hmm. that nobody thought possible because you're not limiting yourself. You're not tainting that 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 belief, that greatness that God gave you. And for me, back then, I was struggling with that. I cared too much about what people thought, so I let go of my power and my confidence. But now, I don't give a shit what people say. Like, I already know that I got it popping. And if I if I could go back and tell my younger self one thing, it would be that. Don't worry about what other people are saying or doing. Just focus on keeping yourself right, keeping that confidence with them all the time, and everything else is it's already going to work out. You know, you don't got to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great message. I mean, especially nowadays in the social media era, kids are kids are struggling with comparison and, and adults are struggling with comparison. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's a good message. And, and what, what, what people listening to this recruits, if you're in high school trying to play in college and just listen to the way that, that at each point of, of, you know, friction or, uh, a big opportunity the way Max responded and it was not to 
you know, to rest on his laurels or something good had happened. It was to continue to put in the work. And, and that's where that confidence comes from. Um, so yeah, awesome message. Thanks. Yeah. Well, Max, thanks for joining us. Uh, just so everyone has context, Max is uh, nursing an injury and, and, and took, took some valuable time out of his day to uh, talk to us while he was headed to a, to a hospital in Japan. So never, never a dull <laughs> moment as a, as a pro athlete overseas. You feel me? Yeah. Uh, but no, this is been... go ahead. No, I was just gonna say exactly what you were about to say. It's been a good, it's gonna be a good time, man. It's been a pleasure being on your show, speaking, letting people know that they can make this happen. Uh, it's just sharing my wisdom, sharing what I've been through to help the next man, you know. Yeah, no, we appreciate you sharing coming on to share your perspective. It's you know, super valuable for kids coming up to hear it and. Yeah, just just to expand the realm of what's possible, you know, in, in their minds. Exactly. You're you're yeah, changing the narrative. Sick. Changing the narrative. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the student athlete sessions brought to you by D3 Direct. Again, tonight's guest was Max Hisatake, professional basketball player in Japan, former Illinois Tech standout. If you're not already following him, give him a follow on TikTok. He's got some great stuff over there. Instagram always putting out good cooking content like we talked about uh you can you can study up brush up on your japanese from uh from the content he's putting out there and uh yeah hit up hit up a show make sure if, if you've enjoyed some of these episodes make sure to, to subscribe and rate it five stars that helps us out and uh yeah it's available on apple spotify or wherever you listen to to shows so keep tuning in max thanks hey, yeah, for joining yeah. us for sure. Y'all definitely go follow D3 Direct, man. I've been rocking with my guys for a minute now. Y'all tap in. This dude got real genuine content. He can help a lot of people out. And he's already changing the game, man. We're changing the narrative, just like you said. Yes, sir. Max, appreciate you. Good luck with the nose, man. Sir. Thank you. Appreciate your time. We'll talk soon, bro. Talk soon.